Revelation 21. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Um, Revelation 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And of course, this is after the millennium. Satan has been cast into the lake of fire, and uh, we're entering uh, eternity future. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon a throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There came unto me one of the seven angels, had the seven vials, full of the last seven plagues, and talked to me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Carried me away into the Spirit, to a great and high mountain, showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto stone, most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and, a, and the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the sixth, uh, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And twelve gates were twelve pearls, every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is light thereup. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of the shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no light night there. They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall be in, shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the title of the message tonight is simply, Behold, I make all things new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you for 
this book and the instruction and the insight it gives us as to our future home. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to be encouraged and strengthened and help us to uh, just be faithful until our Lord comes for us. Um, we'll thank you and praise you for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think the key verse is, and it talks about in all the new things in this chapter is, in verse 5, Behold, I make all things new. Of course, the things that we're talking about here are things that God is making. God makes, or will make, all things new. I want to look at some new things tonight. First of all, we see a new heaven and a new earth in verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, this idea of a new heaven and a new earth is not just a recent idea, or just a new, it's just new and happening. And, of course, we know it's future. It was prophesied, Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, 17 through 19 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be heard no more in her, nor the voice of crying. Now that is not the Jerusalem we know today. That's not the world we know today or the earth we know today. But that's Isaiah is prophesying uh, this time when God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Psalm 102, verse 25 to 26 says, Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall all perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. And the writer of Hebrews, who I believe was the Apostle Paul, in Hebrews chapter 1, he quoted that passage of Scripture when he said in verses 10 through 12, And the Lord, thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. And of course, Peter, in his second epistle, in 2 Peter chapter 3, tells us some about the process of how God's going to make a new heaven, a new earth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to this promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So Peter says all these things, this, this, this old heaven and this old earth, is going to be burned up. It's going to be dissolved. That word dissolved means something uh, 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 coherent into parts to destroy it. You know, everything that we invest in in this life that is temporal, think about it. 
is going to be burned up. It's going to be destroyed. Everything. That's why Jesus told us to uh, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. You know, and we need to stop sometimes and ask ourselves, will my earthly investment profit my walk with the Lord? Will it help my testimony? Will it help me or expand my service for the Lord? Will it enable me to give more to the Lord? Not just financially, but of myself. There's nothing wrong with investing. But why are we investing? And what are we investing? And what's our purpose? That's the things, as Christians, we need to get... Because everything that's temporal is going to be destroyed. It's temporary. The only eternal thing that is on this earth is people. It's the only eternal thing. It's people. And so, the Bible tells us here that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, there's speculation about, you know, of course, there's, there's three layers of heaven, and most believe it's just the, the first heaven that's going to be destroyed and, and remade because that's where that's Satan abodes. He, abode, he abides, he's, he's the uh, angelic host, uh, he works in the heavens. And, you know, Daniel tells us that, how, how Daniel, uh, Daniel, the messenger from, da- from the Lord, was trying to get a message to Daniel, and there was a demon that hindered Daniel's coming, uh, the messenger coming from God to Daniel that was in the heavens. Um, you know, it's principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, the world, wickedness, and high places. So, so it's, but there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth that God is going to make, that God is going to create. And we notice also here, and this is kind of interesting to me, there will be no more sea. Now, I ask myself the question, and a lot of other commentators ask that question too, why? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you, I really don't know for sure. But I do know this, that the seas in the Bible is often associated with trouble. For example, and wickedness. For example, Isaiah 57, 20 says this, But the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. In Revelation 13, 1, John sees the Antichrist coming up out of the sea. And the, the false prophet come out of, out of men. But it says the Antichrist is rising up out of the sea. And we know that the, in Revelation, the word seas is used figuratively to speak of, or waters, the, the word term waters, is used to speak of peoples. But again, he uses the word seas. Uh, waters, seas, oceans, if we want to call them that, the word ocean I don't think is in the Bible, were sources of judgment that God used. The flood. Um, and it's also used as a figure of judgment. In, in Ezekiel and places, it's used as a figure of judgment, of judgment. And I believe that God's going to take away all these things. You know, He's going to make all things new. He's going to take all, away all the things that remind us of the old life and the trials and troubles and the wickedness of the old life. And, you know, that sea could be a reminder, the Antichrist come out of there. Or the wicked are like a troubled sea. 
Or we remember the judgment of the flood. Because if you notice in verse 5, he says the former things are passed away. The idea there is not be remembered anymore. Or will not be reminded of them. And so, there's a new heaven and a new earth. But also, I want you to notice, secondly, there's a new city, the new Jerusalem. In verse 2 it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, repaired as a bride adorned for her husband. And then if you drop over to verse 9, it says, There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked to me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away to, in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what the bride of Christ is. You know, it's not really all that clear in the Bible. Um, some say it's the churches, you know, and, and most of that's the, the uh, I think, the goes with the uh, uh, Baptist briders, but... Um, you know, others, you know, describe it as new things. But it appears here that this bride, this thing he calls the bride is the new Jerusalem. It's, it's not really referring just to people, but it's referring to the place where the people are going to dwell. And this city, this city, as John calls it a city, it is from God. And, of course, it's described here for us in verses 9 through verses 21. I'm not going to read all that for sake of time. We just know that it is from God. Notice verse 10 says, It's descending out of heaven from God. And I'm of the, the belief that this is what Jesus described to his disciples partially in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, Hebrews 11 and verses 9 and 10 tells us that Abraham also, Abraham also looked for a city. Hebrews 10, or 11, 9 and 10 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with, the same, with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And I believe that this, this city is going to be the dwelling place of all the saints of all ages. And here's why. Notice the gates. It says, And it had a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates, verse 12, and at that gate twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And then, uh, where's the foundations? Oh, verse 19. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Um, that's not what, not what I'm looking for. 14. Thank you. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and them is the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, 
The foundations and gates, I believe, are an eternal testimony to the apostles and prophets. To the apostles of the New Testament, the prophets of Israel or the Old, and the prophets where even before Israel was a nation, and their permanent place in God's plan. And so the thing that's significant here is this is a, this is a city for Old and New Testament saints alike. You know, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 says this, Now therefore you no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, he says we're built upon a foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ, of course, is the chief cornerstone. He's the beginning point. And the apostles and prophets built on that stone. Now, what's that mean? Well, the prophets prophesied, that is, they preached and predicted before his coming. They gave us details about what to look for in the Messiah. In other words, you know, what to look for. Uh, the, the, we see all kinds of types of Christ in the tabernacle. The gold intertwined with white linen. White linen speaks of his humanity. The gold speaks of his deity. You have the ram caught in a thicket that God provided. And it says there, God will provide himself a lamb. Genesis 22. You come to the David, and, and we, we learn that he's going to be of the seed of David. We learn from, Mount, from Micah that he's going to be, come out of the city of Bethlehem. You know, all these things the prophets told us or gave us uh, uh, um, information as to, uh, so we could identify the Messiah when he came. And Simeon identified him immediately, and so did Anna, and so did many others. But the religious leaders did not. And we have prophecies about how, what he would do. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all the more. And we know from Luke chapter 4 that Jesus went into the synagogue of Nazareth, opened the book, and he read this passage, and he stopped at the, proclaimed the acceptable year. He stopped right there, and he said this, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, I am the one Isaiah is prophesying about. And, of course, then Jesus spent three and a half years teaching and instructing the apostles. And the apostles preached that he came, fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. You, know, you, you, you read the book of Acts. Peter appealed to the Old Testament scriptures, proving that Jesus was the Christ. He quoted David, Lord said unto my Lord, that he's the Lord. So they preached that he came, fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures, Proving he was the promised Messiah, they bore witness to his miracles, his bodily resurrection, declaring him to be the Son of God. And they revealed to us all the mysteries of the Old Testament that we have a hard time figuring out. They're revealed in the New. Somebody has said, 
the, the, the old is in the new explained. The, the new is in the old contained, but the old is in the new explained. That's why you have the eunuch going across the desert reading Isaiah 53, and he says to Philip, How can I? Philip says, Understand us what thou readest. said, How can I? Except some man should guide me. And Philip preached unto him Jesus. You see. So it's built, this is a city, this is built upon, this is a place that's going to be the dwelling place of all the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. Now that brings up a question. Will we all fit? I mean, I've asked myself that question. Will we all fit? Will it be large enough for all the saved of all time? Uh, Notice uh, <clears throat> verse 16. The city lieth four square, and, and the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured a city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Now, now there's, you know, there's, we're not sure exactly whether this is built like a cube or built like a pyramid, uh, but the length and the breadth are equal. We do know that and and. And, and it says the height, but that doesn't necessarily mean it goes straight up. It may go in like a pyramid. So it is that high. But is it large enough? Well, it is enormous. 12,000 furlongs equals 1,500 miles. That's the same distance from Maine to Florida. And the square footage would be approximate the size of the moon. The moon is roughly a quarter of the size of the earth. And... And of course, you know, uh, and, and it's the diameter is roughly four times as large surface area, or sixteen times as large surface area on the on the Earth as there is on the Moon. Now, Henry Morris said this, and Henry Morris is a pretty smart guy. He said, "Quote: Guessing that there will be a one billion people in the human race throughout history, and that twenty percent of them will be saved." We know there's going to be a minority. Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So let's say 20% of them save. If there's 1 billion people in human history, throughout human history, calculated each person will have a block with about 75 acres each face to call their own. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that, 75 acres. <laughs> I've never had 75 acres in my life. Well, I did, but it was dad's, you know. Um, now, he says, this is highly speculative, but illustrates the point that there is plenty of room in the New Jerusalem. Plenty of room. And so, it is a city for Old and New, Te- for old and new Te- Saints of all time. And, and, and not only that, but there's going to be nations that are going to walk in light of it. Look at verses 23 to 26. It says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb was the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved, these are all saved people, shall walk in the light of it, and the, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. 
And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And I don't understand all this. You know, the Bible doesn't give us the details about a lot of things. Like I said this morning, if the Bible gave us details about everything, you wouldn't be able to carry a Bible. It would be volumes. But he gives us what we need to know and no more. And actually, we don't really need to know this, but you know, it's, 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 it's uh, something to look forward to. But the nations, the nations of them that are saved. So I believe there are going to be nations of people come out of the millennium who have submitted to the Lord during the millennium. Kings and nations like Israel during the days of David and Solomon. And they're going to Walk in the light of it. They're going to bring their glory and honor into it. This is the new city, the new Jerusalem that Abraham looked for. But I want you to notice thirdly, there's also a new fellowship of people. Verses 3 to 5. It says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God was with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You know, there will be a new fellowship of people, and we will dwell in the, in the personal presence of God. If you notice at the end of verse 3, God himself shall be with them and be their God. It will not be faith anymore. It will be sight. He will dwell with us. It will be pure religion, pure worship. You know, this reminds us that heaven... Uh, this new, new city, New Jerusalem, will be a place of pure worship. You know, things we use here to help us in worship often end up distracting us in worship. Sometimes they become sources of corruption. Buildings, music systems, customs. You know, that'll be no longer an issue there. Because everything that's going to be there is things that God made. And our focus will totally be on Him and not anything else. You know, is it not true that many times we make idols out of things that are supposed to help us in our worship with God? Just like Israel did with the brass snake until Hezekiah finally destroyed it because they were worshiping it. Or the holy days of Israel. Even the tabernacle and temple became a place of corruption. I mean, the curtains ripped from top to bottom when Jesus died. What did they do? They tried to fix it back up and continue using it. People have taken, think of this, think of this. People have taken winning people to Christ, making it a contest, and a source of building empires. Where the pastors are CEOs of corporations. It's a means of pride and prestige. Things that God has given us to do the service of God, and we corrupt them. Money. 
I passed at a church that in 1982 had $795,000 in investments. And 15 years later, I got there, they had debt. And the financial secretary told me, she said, Pastor, you're the first pastor since I've been here. This church is started in 1858. You're the first pastor since I've been here. And she'd been there probably 40 years. You're the first pastor we've paid out of the tithes and offerings of the people. That money corrupted them. It could have been used for the glory of God, but what do we do with it? We corrupt it. But you know, there will be none of that to corrupt us. There will be no remembrance of the old life. Notice verse 4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no death, no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The word passed away means vanishing. They will become imperceptible. We won't be able to remember them anymore. You know, there's some things in life now that you forget. But all it takes is the right words or the right circumstance and it comes back to your mind. You know, I used to listen to country western music. Now, there's very few country western songs I could sing you today. But if I heard the ra- somebody on the radio or somebody with a guitar or something starting to play a song, I could sing some of them for you. All it takes is the right circumstance to bring it back to our minds. But, you know, there's not going to be anything like that in heaven that's going to bring back those memories of things that defile us. There'll be nothing there to do that. You know, verse 27 says there's not going to be anything there that defiles or makes an abomination. Whatsoever works an abomination or maketh a lie. Not even thoughts. Because we're going to have glorified bodies. We're not, going to have, we're not going to have this inclination to do evil that we have today. And there will be nothing there to attract us to sin anyway. He said, I make all things new. It will be a brand new start with a glorified, with a glorified body. And the only inhabitants are those that have been given a new name and have new life. If you notice verses 6 and 7, He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that will overcome us shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And of course, verse 27 says, there shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, when he talks about those that are athirst, and he uses that phraseology over in chapter 22 and verse 17 again, you know, God, God never, God's always seeking man. He never, he never gives up till the, till the very last. Here and even in chapter 22, the last verses, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come. And let him as a thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life 
freely. So those that are athirst, it refers, I believe, to those who will open their heart to the truth of the Word of God and, does, and are willing to receive the truth. God said, He that, that is athirst, I will give him that is athirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. I'll give it to you freely. If you are thirsty for it, I'll give it to you freely. In the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are those that hunger and do thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They'll be filled. They are overcomers. Verse 7 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. To overcome means to carry off their victory. It speaks of Christians that hold fast their faith, even unto death, against the power of their foes and the temptations and persecutions in life. You know, born-again Christians don't quit. They don't cast their faith off and go to the world and live like they were never saved. You say, well, Christians sin. Yeah, they do. Peter denied the Lord. But you know what? He didn't go continually, continue to deny the Lord. He didn't continue in his sin. He didn't continue in that denial. Peter, after he denied the Lord, went out and wept bitterly. The Bible tells us. You see, a child of God cannot continue in the practice of sin. You know, 1 John chapter 3 makes this very clear. 1 John chapter 3 and verses uh, uh, 8 through 10 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, that sounds confusing to the rest of Scripture, but understand the word commit or committeth here is in a present active tense, which means it's happening and it's continuing to happen. It's happening and it's continuing. So we might use the word practice. That's a person's practice. That's a person's manner of life. And the word of God is saying to us, God is saying to us is what? If a person's manner of life or their practice of life is they just live in sin, they're not a child of God. A child of God cannot do that because the seed of God remains in him. Now, the word seed here um, means the vital force or life-giving power. It's referring to the Holy Spirit of God, which is the divine energy operating within the soul by which we are regenerated or made born again. So, so we cannot continue, a Christian cannot continue in sin because the life of God remains in him. Again, I'm not saying a Christian can't sin. And, 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 and live in sin for a time. But sooner or later, God's going to bring it to an end. He's also going to bring misery in your life. Conviction. Do you ever, why, do you, why, do you, why are you so miserable when you sin? <laughs> it's because the Spirit of God 
The life of God is in you, and He is grieved by our sin. You see, born-again Christians don't quit. They're overcomers. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 1 John 5, verse 5 tells us. And there be no, and there, and you know, there's not going to be anything that enters this place that defiles, because you know already in chronolo, you know, chronologically here, the great white throne has just taken place. All sinners have been cast into the lake of fire along with the devil, so there are no sinners left in the universe. They're all in the lake of fire, and so the only people that will be in this new heaven and new earth are saved people. Only people who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will enter the new Jerusalem, will have access to the city of God. And of course, there's a, there's a warning here to the lost. In verse 8, it says, The fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, it hasn't happened. So, so, so God's still warning us. Look. If you die without Christ, fearful. Somebody has described fearful as this way. In the last resort, they choose self and safety before Christ. In other words, they're afraid, they're fearful or afraid to trust God with their life. The unbelieving, they're faithless, they're without trust. They will not trust, again, will not trust God with their life. Think about the rich young ruler. Why wouldn't he come to Christ? Well, we know he loved his money, but the reality is he was afraid to give himself the Lord for what it would cost him. He wasn't willing to trust God with his life. And he turned away in his wickedness. You know, it talks about abominable, but just referring to wicked people given to sin, murderers. Um, you know, we know what a murderer is, but these are people that just, just um, enjoy murdering people. Can you imagine somebody being like that? But there are. You know, Nimrod, the Bible describes Nimrod as a mighty hunter, and this is the, the, the wording he uses, a mighty hunter before the Lord. That means in the face of God. And, and most commentators say he wasn't a mighty hunter of lions. He was a hunter of men. In other words, he was a murderer. He was a murderer. Whoremongers would be refer to fornication or sexual perversion, sorcerers, magical potions, drugs, idolaters. Of course, an idol is anything or anyone you put before God. And so, again, there's a final warning that these will not enter. Anything that defiles. Those who refused, who will not put their faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ to save them from their sin will be lost for all eternity going to be cast in the lake of fire. But for those of us who trust Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have a new heaven and a new earth to look forward to. We have a new city to look forward to. And a new fellowship. 
wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, I thank God we have a, I believe we have a, a good church. But it's only good because God has made us righteous. There we're going to dwell in the very presence of righteousness. Without these sinful bodies. You know, even though, you know, we have a group of people that have been made righteous, we don't always do everything that's righteous. We have our problems that we have to work through. But there, there won't be any of that. It won't be wonderful there, having no burdens to bear. This is, this is what God has prepared for them that love Him. You know, are you prepared for an eternal, your, for the eternal, for an eternal home? Have you been made new? Have you been given new life in Christ? If you have that new life, you're prepared for that new home. Praise the Lord. We have much to look forward to. But until then, you know, there are many around us that don't know Christ who need to hear the truth of the Word of God, that they too can be prepared and have new life and the assurance of a new home. Until the Lord comes, He says, be faithful and occupy until I come.